Hey, this is Dan Reeves. I'm the lead pastor of Journey Church in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Welcome to our podcast. Before we get going, we just want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. We believe that you matter, not only to us, but to Jesus. Our hope is that you find something new and life-giving in Him today. Here's today's message. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. My name is Chris Wilson. If we haven't met before, I'm one of our college directors here. And it's just a joy to look at God's word with you guys this morning. Uh, Today, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 16. If you've been with us this summer, we've been going through the story of Exodus, um, looking at how God has called a people to himself, finding a leader like Moses, coming in to redeem and rescue them out of Egypt. And, and last week we looked at Exodus chapter 14 as Pastor Dan kind of finished part of that story of the salvation experience as he le- God led them through the Red Sea onto dry ground and salvation was experienced. And, and chapter 15 actually picks up immediately after with this song of praise and worship. I mean, logically, we just got out of Egypt. So we sing, we worship, we praise God. But shortly afterwards in chapter 15, we notice that they have slowly forgotten all about this. There's grumbling, complaining, they need some water. And immediately God provides for them, leading them to these 12 springs at this place called Elam and provides graciously for them. And today we're gonna kind of pick the story back up as they leave these 12 springs heading on to Mount Sinai. And we're gonna find them stumbling right back in the same place of grumbling and complaining. And and I don't know where you are, what kind of season you're in right now, but isn't that kind of where we always get to be? We go through hard times, we end up forgetting how God has worked in our life, and sometimes we just find ourselves with a change of attitude complaining about something. So no matter where you are today, I believe what we can see is relating to where the Israelites were, but also seeing how God graciously loves and cares for them. And so if you look with me, Exodus 16, starting in verse 1, we'll kind of see that verses 1 through 9 is showing us that the Israelites are forgetting God's provision. Verses 1 through 3 says this, The whole Israelite community sat out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month. And after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Okay, so one, we see this timeline has kind of started to pick up. It's been a month since Passover, a month of them kind of coming out of Egypt. And therefore a month is all they can last until they are upset that they haven't received what they thought they were gonna receive. Maybe some of the the food is running low and this is now turning into not the fun road trip they had always planned. And it is getting difficult. I I can slightly, just ever so slightly relate to to some of this experience. Um, Between my junior and senior year of college, I spent a summer in South Sudan. Um, Sudan's just south of Egypt, so it's not full-on desert. It's kind of more bush country, but hot, gross. And it's everywhere people try to vacation and honeymoon at. It is just jumping for joy there. That was a joke if you're tracking with us today. And so Sudan is just this gross place. And we went and partnered with um, these missionaries there who were, who were trying to find different people groups with different tribes 
with the whole purpose of trying to bring them um, medical relief, dig wells, and also bring the gospel. And so we, me and a team of guys had this um, experience of hiking every single day, five to eight miles a day, walking to different villages that kind of act as like suburbs or neighborhoods, marking them with a GPS so that later on our missionary could take other teams to go and, and reach them with everything they were trying to do. And it, and it was an amazing experience. It was a summer that was one of the craziest summers of my life, but it was just hard. Hiking five to eight miles a day in the heat was just gross. Sleeping on a tent every single day underneath the lovely large tree they provided for us wasn't the most ideal circumstances. Within the first week, I mean, we were just hot and gross and we're not having a terrible time, but it's just not what you expected. And we had one rule that our translators and the tribe people that were working with us, they were like, hey, never leave camp at night. And I was like, I don't, I don't really have a problem with that. I don't really have anywhere to go. Um, but one of the guys with us, he decided he needed to take a vacation um, and, and travel down out of the camp. So late one evening, he goes to the well to get some water because it's like 1 a.m. And apparently there's this guy who's a little intoxicated. There's like this scramble going on. This dude has a club. Our guy did not bring a club. And he takes his knee out, okay? Weeks go by, we find out he had a torn meniscus, okay? Dude is okay, everything's fine. But at that moment, we had no idea. So he kind of crawls back to camp. I'm woken up by everyone freaking out. And so I'm like, hey, what's going on? They're like, James has been attacked. And I said, okay, is he dying? They're like, oh, no, no, no. I was like, are we under attack? They said, no, no, we're, we're fine. I said, well, good night. Like, I'm going back to sleep. Like, you guys got this. I'm not a medical professional. I don't know how the body works. Y'all got it. And over the next few days, it just became more and more interesting. This tribal court was formed, elders come in, the chief comes in, and all of a sudden we're in this like weird predicament by this well under like this ruling court system of this tribe in Taposa. And we don't really know what to do. Just, you know, a handful of college students hanging out at tribal court. It's your normal Sunday. During this tribal court, I get sick. I will spare you all the details, okay? But I get, I get super sick. And eventually our missionary makes it to us. He used to be a nurse and he meets with the guy that got hurt his knee. Now I'm sick and he goes, hey, I'm not concerned about him right now. If you're not better in 24 hours, we're medical evacuating you to Kenya. And I said, this is exactly how we thought the summer was gonna go. So I sleep for like two days on my back in this tent, take some medicine, slowly get better. And that was kind of our summer. We all got sick like three or four times. It was hot, it was gross, and it was just tough. And after about a month or so, when we've been living off of just like beans and rice, we ended up like imagining food. And I don't know if you've ever been in this situation, if you've ever been without food for some time, like the food that you really love, but like you can, you can desire some weird things. So we start making, making lists of food we'll get when we get back to America. Then we start inventing recipes, okay? Now, some of you might wanna try this when you get home, okay? But we decided, me and my buddy Jonathan decided that we were going to take some cookie dough and we were going to put it inside of a hamburger patty and we were going to make a cookie burger. And our whole idea as like juniors in college was that surely on the grill, the cookie would bake inside the burger as it also cooked. And then you could enjoy the most luxurious meal you've ever had of cookies and burgers together. Now... I actually never tried this, but that's where we were. 
And our attitudes that we had going into that trip slowly through the situation and through time just slowly started to shift just a little bit. And I think that's kind of where we find the Israelites right there. Some time's gone on, different situation, different place. And I believe now everyone's situation is different, but I believe at the end of the day, what makes situations hard is simply unmet expectations. The Israelites, they didn't expect that salvation from Egypt just meant that they were gonna get into the desert. And I don't know where you are in your life, what's difficult, but maybe you're in a place where you have these expectations, how you thought things were gonna go, and they're just not lining up with that. And maybe not at first, but slowly but surely, your attitude begins to shift and change. So maybe, maybe you're in a place where it's just been a whole long time since you felt like you experienced God. Maybe you feel distant from his presence. You remember that there was a time that you once walked with him or there was an experience and now you don't even know what that looks like. Maybe you're stuck complaining. We complained about our food for a long time in Sudan. Maybe that's just who you are. You complain about the situation you're in and it's, it's what thrives and guides you. You come home from work and your spouse, roommate, whoever, like that's what you gotta tell them about. Well, hey, how's the situation today? Oh, let me tell you about so-and-so. I'll tell you about it. I have no problem with that one. And, and I'll be honest, when we get into a, a culture of being just grumbling, complaining, I kind of wonder what we would do if like the situation we desired to be resolved actually resolved. We might just complain about that. And maybe you just feel stuck. Because you don't even know how you got here, when you got here, and you definitely don't know how to get out. And what I believe what we'll see as God loves and cares for his people is we'll see a God who's just simply saying, hey, you can trust in who I am and trust how I provide for you. And so let's look together as he begins in verse four, as God begins to show them how he is gonna respond to their changing attitudes. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evenings and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord for he has heard your grumbling. Did you see it? His response to this super flippant changing frustrated people in some way so baby in their faith is he meets them with unchanging grace. The grace that rescued and redeemed them from Egypt is the same grace that he will walk with them all the way through the desert, all the way into Canaan to the promised land and forevermore. What an encouraging thing that when we are so just changing our attitudes and our mind and inconsistent, God is always consistent. He doesn't change. And what we see is this group of people in their baby faith slowly but surely learning how to trust God. 
And he, he says, I'm going to provide for you. He gives instructions about the provision. So it's not just like you're just getting everything. He gives them instructions of how to obey it. And here we have to understand the reason for this test of provision. Moses says it's so that you will know God. So the things we walk through in our lives, one of the things that they do is they point us to know God better. But also one thing they do is they help grow us into growing more faithfully in our faith. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. You see, God has to walk the Israelites through this because he knows there's a lot more difficult things to come. He has to walk and shape them almost like children so that they can be able to handle the things and places that they're going to. And all of a sudden we see the tension right here is simply a lack of trusting that God will provide. So again, I don't know where you are in your situation, but is it difficult for you to trust God? Or has it become natural? For me, it's difficult. Because I just want to fix everything. For me, I just want to doubt. When I get into a difficult situation, I immediately throw my hands up and I ask questions. And I ask, is God even here? And then I usually move on if I can answer that one and say, well, does he even hear me? And it builds to, well, if he can hear me, well, is he even going to show up and, and provide for me? And if he is going to provide, is it even going to be enough? Because I can question his provision. I can always look at it and be like, I need a little bit more. And then now I also find myself in a place in my life where when hard situations come and I can remember God's provision, I just want to know if he's going to do it again. And what I believe what we see is through two examples how God meets the children of Israel where they are in their situation, provides for them in a tangible way, simply saying, you can trust me. So we see in verses 10 through 20, we see the first provision, the first gift that he gives them. And he says, hey, you can trust in the provision of daily bread. It says in verse 10, while Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. In the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. The one that gathered little did not have too little. And everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses they kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Do you see how God is meeting his people 
One, in a, in a truly tangible way, supernaturally. Now, I have never seen food fall from the sky, okay? I, I have not. Seems awesome, okay? I have not tasted manna. I have been to Chick-fil-A. That's the only thing I can compare it to. But, but here, right here, we see this amazing supernatural way that God is loving and caring for his people. Answering the question that he shows up. The presence of God was seen in a cloud, God is there. He is present. So my friends, you need to know that in your hard situations, whether you can tell it or not, God is with you. He says, I have heard their cry and their grumbling. He hears us. And I don't know if that's a comfort for you or freaks you out because he hears all the good things you said and all the bad things you say. So all the complaining you got, oh, he hears it and graciously still loves us because he still provides. Now, I believe all of us have different situations, different things we're walking through, so therefore, I believe that in some ways, God's provision is gonna look a little bit different in some of our lives. But he does provide for you and with you, and he will always provide for his people. It says that some took a little, some took much, but whatever they took, it was enough for them. Um, A lot of scholars believe that an omer was about two quarts, And so every single day they would gather into these jars or whatever and and put the manna in it from the desert floor, keep it. That was their rations for the day, if you will. It was enough. We have a God whose provision is sufficient for us. And not only that, as he kept on showing up day after day after day for 40 years, and therefore we have a God who is consistent. And so, so in this, of us having a God who in his provision is sufficient and consistent, it's still pretty hard. And at the same time, it also requires something of us. You see, he didn't just like tell the Israelites to lay down on the desert floor and say, open your mouth. So I'm gonna rain some manna down and just like fill it up. There's still an action they had to take. There was still obedience that they had to follow. And therefore what we see is obedience is required to enjoy God's gifts. There are still actions they had to do that God was calling them to. So again, in your life, in your situation, what is the thing that God has provided for you? He is simply asking for you to be obedient and walking through that so you can actually enjoy it. It may not make sense. It may be hard. But he is there and he is with you through those things. I believe at least two things we can relate to together of how God's provided for us is through his word and through his people. I believe God has provided many of us with his word. But if, his, if your Bible is only resting on your nightstand or chilling in your car, it's only gonna go do so much for you, right? He's provided it for you, but have you actually accessed it? There has to be an obedient step of walking in that. I believe God provides us with the people we walk through life together. Through the good days and through the bad. But if we haven't learned how to obediently walk with each other through things, we actually won't be able to access what true fellowship looks like. I know for me personally, I I have a difficulty of admitting when things are hard or when things are bad. But the biggest thing I've learned time and time again, if I can be able to help others know, hey, I'm having a bad day, I'm struggling with this, slowly I've been able to see that they know how to love me and I can walk through the trials of my life in some ways a little more faithfully And slowly I can see a little bit more of who God is and how he has provided for me.
But it's hard, right? We don't do this naturally. And therefore, we're, we're learning how to trust, and trust is difficult. And learning how to trust creates a resistance. You see, why? Wow, we want to naturally go back to what we always did, who we always were. For the, for the Israelites, they used to live under captivity. So now they have a God that lovingly cares for them. They're used to a ruler that oppresses them. They used to wake up daily trying to meet daily quotas for work, going out time and time again just to find their daily bread, gathering food. And of course, you have to hoard because what if you missed something? If you find a little bit of extra food, you tuck it away because what if tomorrow there is none? And what we see is people are trying to save a little bit more for the next day. It simply means, one, we aren't used to being loved like this. And it's hard to trust that you're actually going to provide the next day. And there's a resistance to our past lives before they were saved. So how do we walk in this resistance in a way that's turning our trust to a surrender of saying, God, I am following after you and trusting everything you have done. You can meet my daily needs. We see the second thing God provides for his people is he says, hey, you need to trust in the provision of rest. So we see in verses 21 through 30, it begins saying, each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded it and did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day and no one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. First, one of the most beautiful parts of this, this section is this is the first time Sabbath is truly mentioned, especially as a command since creation. We'll see it again as we get to Sinai. It becomes something that's a part of the Ten Commandments. But a few things that this passage specifically teaches about Sabbath is that one, it is for the people, a gift from the Lord. And it's a command. This isn't a suggestion of just, hey, you know, when you want to, as you can. The Lord's saying this is a command, just like he's commanding them to go and gather a certain way, he's commanding them to rest a certain way. This is how you work, this is how you rest. So therefore, it, the Israelites cannot enter into the rest fully unless they obediently walk into that to, in, in order to enjoy God's gift. And the same applies to us. It was also holy. What a strange thing, God has blessed and made a day holy. It's set apart. It's also a day that they prepare for. It says that they would 
hey, whatever you need to bake, whatever you need to boil, however you need to prepare for that day. This took work. It took preparation. It was intentional. This didn't just slip up on them. They said, oh, gosh, it is. It is Sabbath. Now, it's something they longed for and worked towards. And like I said before, it was a gift. A gift is something to be enjoyed. And to neglect the gift means you do not get to partake in it. When we, when we see the Sabbath reference in the New Testament in Jesus' day, the, a lot of the Jews had become uh, more legalistic with it, creating all these rules and boundaries around it. And Jesus proclaimed to them, he said, hey, Sabbath was not made, uh, Sabbath was not made for man, but man was made for the Sabbath. And it was a gift for them. And they had taken it and made it something that it totally was not. I think in our day and age, we haven't really made it a legalistic thing. We've just made it a non-existent thing. Something we don't really long for. I mean, I, I know when I was growing up, every single kid played every single sport we could ever imagine to do every single thing we ever wanted to. And I haven't heard yet, but I think we're still living in that type of society. We are busy, busy, busy trying to accomplish every single thing we can ever do all the time, constantly. How can I graduate college fastest? How can I get the job that I want, get into the family that I need? How can I create everything and get it as quickly as possible? John Mark Comer in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, if you have not read that, just don't even listen to me. Just go buy his book. He's way smarter than me. It's an amazing book that he begins to break down the patterns that we have in our society of just being simply in a hurry all the time and how it's actually just killing our souls. He begins to talk about the Sabbath, of how it's something that we should delight in. So what is the Sabbath? One, I think the Sabbath is something we already know we need. How do I know this? Because we all go to sleep at night. Boom. Sabbath example. Your body's demanded. It's sleep. And I've met some of you without a lot of sleep. You're not that fun. Because I know I'm not. If I'm up late with a screaming baby, my wife doesn't think I'm the greatest person the next day. Okay? We need sleep. We need to be recharged. And can we just talk real quick how creepy sleep is? Like, you don't know what's going on. Like, anyways, I just, I think it's the weird, I literally think it's the weirdest thing in the world. Okay? Anyways. We need it. It's something we desire. And not only that, we are designed for it. Therefore, we see that God has created into the DNA of existence that there has to be rest. Comer talks about how it, the Sabbath is a delight in the world, in ourselves, but most importantly, in our Lord. And the Sabbath must be something that just doesn't give us rest, but it directs us to worship the Lord. So what is not the Sabbath anything that goes against us resting and directing worship to the Lord. Therefore, I believe the Sabbath looks different to all of us of how we rest. Just of how the Lord provides differently for us and how we walk differently in obedience to him, we will rest differently. My wife and I fully realized this during COVID, okay? I love to read. I just really do. I'm not good at it. But during COVID for about two and a half months, I read like 13 books, just really nerded out. My favorite, since you asked, it was The Count of Monte Cristo. Oh my goodness, just an amazing story. It's extremely long and I loved it. You're welcome. Go back to this. My wife was literally like, okay, nerd, you enjoy that over there. 
I've decided I'm going to refurbish 90% of the furniture in our house. I was like, oh, okay. Why? Oh, because it's there. And so my wife, in the way that she rests and winds down, in some ways is just doing something different that's not her daily work. And together we begin to realize that we rest differently. One is not better or worse than the other. So how do you rest? Do you even know? Maybe it's fishing. Maybe it's going to the game. Maybe it's just being with friends, reading a book, gardening, baking, cooking. If you don't know how to rest, that's your first sign that there's a problem. You need to learn. Why? Because it is fueling your soul. And if your soul hasn't rested, it is harmful for the soul. And literally, as you fight against God's design for your soul to rest, you're fighting against God. So, you didn't ask, but what does this look like for me and my wife right now? Okay, we're still figuring this out. We're terrible at this. We've been trying to figure this out for about a year and a half, and we literally fail every other week. But here's our attempt at it. There's a group of college students that have no idea until now that they help us Sabbath. Usually we find ourselves on Friday nights, hanging out, watching a movie, and we cook like 20 cinnamon rolls. It is just glorious. And we just kind of unwind. I put my laptop away. We're not talking about stuff. We're just being. My wife and I sleep late the next day. What that means when we have a one-year-old, we sleep to about 7, 7.30. So it's a late day. It was awesome. Just kind of take the day slow, maybe cook some pancakes, just chill. And each Sabbath looks different so far, but we are trying our best just to rest and enjoy the Lord. Sounds super spiritual, but like we read books, we go for a walk, we go see friends, okay? I considered last Saturday, I went to Six Flags with about 15 college students. I'm gonna call it Sabbath because I just greatly enjoyed it. I was exhausted afterwards, so maybe I failed, but we try to do things we enjoy and especially with people we enjoy to be around. And I can tell you, I'm not good at it yet, but I can really tell those few weeks that we miss it, what it does to my soul. I can tell when I've been refueled and refreshed and I can tell when I have neglected it. And I realize it was not helpful at all. You see, because some of the people, they still disobeyed this, that resistance was still there to their past. Some of them didn't Sabbath. They went out the next day trying to work, but it wasn't there. They used to live under a ruler that never allowed them to rest and just work them over and over again. And now they have a God who lovingly is caring for them and he is giving them rest, rest for their souls. John Mark Comer says in his book that the Sabbath is coming for you, whether as a delight or a discipline, it will find you. About four to five years ago, before my wife and I moved here, uh, I, was, I was finishing my master's degree. I was working as a barista, running a bed and breakfast, because that makes sense. Everyone does that. And pretty sure it was haunted. Another story, another time. And my wife's teaching. And two years in a row, around Thanksgiving and Christmas, we are just traveling different states, seeing people. I'm writing like three papers. We're taking tests. It's just go, 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 go. I end up always going up to take a take a class that's like a week long, but it's jammed an entire semester into one week because I just have to get done with school. And two years in a row, after all of this happened, I got the flu and just was put like 
on my back in a bed, sick for a week to two weeks. And my body forced me into Sabbath. And I'll be honest, it hurt really bad. It was miserable. If you've ever been laying on your bathroom floor just holding the toilet, sorry, I'm sorry, but you know, you get the idea. It is just miserable. That's not the Sabbath I desire. I I desire the one that's a delight, that I enjoy, and that builds up my soul. So I don't know how this looks for you and your family. I don't even know if this has ever been a conversation for you and your family. But what does it look like for you to Sabbath? I'll tell you what, if you have tips, please give them to me because I think it's gonna take some time. It's gonna take some preparation of figuring out how to do it. But I believe it's worth it. If you're the kind of person that says, I don't have enough time, I'm too busy. Well, I think that's what the Israelites said because they actually never had had time before. If you don't have time, cancel something. It's worth it. College students, if you're trying to figure out what class you need to get before you can graduate in time, you're go, 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 just drop one. I said it. It's worth it. Tend to your soul of what that looks like. It's gonna look different to everybody. Is there something you need to take off your plate? Because what I'm learning more and more is that if you feel it too much, it's gonna break your body down And in in my life, I'm trying to enjoy every single thing the world has ever tried to offer me. And I want to know it all, I want to experience it all, and I just want to be with everybody. And what the Sabbath has now taught me is I actually don't think I ever enjoyed things. They were just there. They were just things passing by. But when I've been able to actually stop and soak it up, I've actually enjoyed stuff. I've actually enjoyed books, not just tearing them apart to write a paper on them. I've enjoyed my friends. I've, I've enjoyed food. I'm the per- type of person that loves a hamburger and I will grab the hamburger and I will never put it down until I finish it. So I'm not a quitter. And slowly I believe if we slow down, you can enjoy life, enjoy the things around you. I believe you can actually enjoy God a little bit more. Because what we see is what the lack of Sabbath reveals is our lack of trust in God's gift. It's a declaration of saying that we do not need it. So therefore, our obedience reveals our trust in God. First, in order to access and enjoy the gifts, we have to obey the instructions God has given us. But also what our obedience reveals is how much we actually trust him. If we're not walking into this, we're saying that it is not good enough for me. I'm the exception to the rule. My friends, we are far, far from that. It is hard, it is difficult, but I promise you it is worth it. I don't know where you find yourself in your situations that are difficult, but I promise you God will provide. And I promise you as you seek that time of rest, he will recharge you. And what he ends up calling the Israelites to is a constant state of, would you remember how I've done this? As the passage closed in verses 31 through 36, we see that he is calling them to remember God's provision. It says, the people of Israel called the bread manna. It was like white coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come. So they can see the bread I gave to you 
to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put the omer, put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law so that it might be preserved. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to the land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. And Omer is one-tenth of an epeth. So we see what God's calling them to, and he does it through many different ways through the history of Israel. He begins to call them through celebrations and through different rituals and then through something as simple as this to remember how he has provided for them and the things he has done. Uh, Kevin Anthony talked about it a while back when we looked at the Passover, but the Passover becomes this regular um, seasonal meal that they would take and they would remember what God did for them. And what he's commanding them is say, take some of this manna, put it in the Ark of the Covenant with the tablet so that you can see that and the people to come, they can remember what I have done. How can you remember how God has provided for you? Um, I, we, I have one thing that my phone does. I don't know if you're cool like me and have an iPhone, but um, it'll automatically show you like pictures of the day, like what happened like the day before. Like, it is my favorite thing. Like I will immediately send a picture like that's me and my friend. I'll send it to them. It's, it's just a thing, you know. But recently I've learned that it'll show you different pictures. I'll send one to my wife and then we start talking about, hey, you remember when this was going on? We start remembering what was going on in our past and then we remember kind of where we came from. You could journal. I started journaling a while back and nothing crazy like every single day, but just simply when hard times were coming up or good seasons we were going through, I'd try to jot some of those memories down. And what my wife does is point me back to those of saying, hey, I know this is hard right now, but do you remember two years ago when this was happening? I found the journal of my experience in Sudan, dreaming of cookie burgers and like other weird stuff and you know, getting sick. And I read through it and I was so stressed about the dumbest stuff. Like things that like do not even matter to my life anymore that were stressing me out so much. And I believe a lot of it was because I was not resting in God's provision and it distracted me from understanding who God is more. May we remember the things that have gone in in our past. I believe we can remember with each other. I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've had friends that have gone through experiences that I've never gone through And to be honest, a lot of my friends who have gone through things that are harder than anything I've experienced. But when they share that with me and and I can walk with them through that, it encourages me to see their faith. And then if I'm ever going through something in my life, I know who I can take my life to. And I can then walk with God's people through something that I don't know how to do on my own. But the biggest thing I think we could ever do is I think we can turn to or remember who Jesus is. Jesus, the one who faced temptations in the wilderness himself, we see those accounts in the Gospels, who walked through a life facing great temptations but lived a perfect life, showing us our example of how we can live, he's worth following after. Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you're saying, hey, I have some hard situations. I just don't even know what to do with them. I I promise you Jesus can take it. You see, we also see from scripture that Jesus is the bread of life. John 6, 48 through 51 says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, 
which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus is enough. He is sufficient and consistent through any needs you will ever face. He is enough. And what you see is also we see that Jesus gives us rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, and the first three words of my favorite says, come to me. My friends, Jesus wants you and desires you to bring him your baggage. Remember, he's already heard it. <laughs> he already knows it. Would you bring it to him? Because he says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We all have different places, different situations, I, I know. So my question is, what does obedience look like for you going forward? Where are the places in your life, in your situations that you struggle with trusting in who God is? And how can you walk obediently so you can actually enjoy the provisions that God has given to you? If you think your situation is too hard, I promise he can take it. We would love to walk with you through that. You can always fill out a connection card or see someone at the welcome desk or we would love to help you find a group of people that would love to walk with you through these seasons of life together. Wherever you are, what is God calling you to trust in him about? Let us pray. Father, Father, I, I thank you that in the midst of our ever-changing attitudes and emotions and inconsistency, you are unchanging. You are consistent. And your grace abounds all the more. Father, would you be with us as we, when we forget about those things? Would you continue to show us the provisions that you have faithfully provided for us? so that we can know who you are more and so that we can grow to know you better. So Father, would you reveal to us the obedient steps we need to take? Father, would you give us rest? Rest that can only come from you. So Father, be with us this week as we turn to you. Allow us to see where we need to trust in you. Amen.